I hope that I'm able to help someone who has hope fatigue in their situation the same way. Yeah, absolutely. What if we just all looked at somebody else who's broken as they probably have hope fatigue in a situation, maybe it's anxiety, maybe it's depression, maybe it's suicidal thoughts, maybe it's their sickness in their family, or maybe it's spiritually. And we looked at that person instead of at us being that doctor or that solution, we said, this person's probably having some fatigue. So what can I do to put some wind in their sails? Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode five of Hope Between the Lines. My name is Dan Herod, and it is my privilege to be on this journey with you on this very fine day. In a moment, you're about to hear a really fun conversation that I got to have with Jeff Lister. And he is a individual that I met years ago while serving in Wisconsin. And I'm still serving in Wisconsin, so that sounded a little odd, but let's go with it. Uh, he was serving in a church in Wisconsin and recently transitioned with him and his family to the state of Illinois. And in this conversation, you're going to hear he and I kind of vamp on some pretty deep subjects, specifically, who are we when what we're doing matters too much? More specifically, what happens when we find our identities wrapped up in our activity? And I really appreciate Jeff's honesty, his vulnerability, and his candor for the way that he is able to unpack and share what he experienced just recently in his life. So why don't you uh, grab a drink, if that's your thing, or maybe you're a snacker, grab your Cheetos, or maybe you're just more of a, I'm just going to drive and listen to this podcast, Dan. So whatever it is for you, I think you're in to hear a good, entertaining conversation between me and Jeff Lister Jr. So thanks again for dialing in. This is going to be a fun conversation. All right, Jeff, welcome to Hope Between the Lines. I am so jacked to have this conversation with you today. Me too, man. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited. Oh, dude. So one of the things that I absolutely love about having conversations with you is that every time you and I have connected, I've discovered a gift that you have. And that (laughs) is, it's this. Some people have this ability to, regardless of the subject matter, break free of the traditional gravity that people tend to people tend to maybe gravitate towards negativity mm-hmm. not once and all the times that you and i have chatted briefly chatted in depth not once have i ever felt the negativity and that gravity mm. in any of your words mm. you have the ability and the gift of staying positive staying hopeful and when the conversation has the potential of turning into a, oh, woe is me fest, mm-hmm. uh, you have this really solid ability to, to trend it in the right direction, which mm-hmm. is positive, constructive, and productive. So I appreciate that so much about you, man. Man, thank you so much. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, I was talking with a friend and they kind of said the same thing, but it's so weird. Like, I don't actually feel bad about myself. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't. And I wonder if it's just because maybe I get all of my negativity out with simply my wife and we're just like talking and I'm like, ah, I don't like this, yeah. but may maybe it is. I don't know, but I definitely am more of a person who just tends towards optimism, mm -hmm. you know? And, uh, and I, I, I don't really know why that is. So I, you know, it could be just because, you know, a lot of times I feel like negativity just weighs me down personally. Mm. So I'm just like, why, why am I complaining about it? You know, um, you know, or it could be that I remember early on in ministry, I complained a lot. And yeah. then I think that I realized this is silly. Like, let's just move on. So that, that could be it too. But yeah, I really appreciate the yeah. <laughs> Well, whatever you're doing, don't stop. <laughs> uh, I just think it's a really refreshing take that you bring to every moment. And even just you referencing, you have the hard, raw conversations with people that you trust and people that'll help you. That's super healthy. Yeah. 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 Well, I think that goes to, I don't know about you, but I'm like a big Enneagram guy. So I think that goes to uh, my personality type is like the Enneagram eight, which okay. the Enneagram eight is like not the number you want to be, you know, like okay. it's, number, <laughs> it's like when you look up who was the Enneagram eights, like famous people that they have in the book, it's no one that you're like, oh, this person's great. You know, like, I feel like it's this person was a dictator or something. Oh. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's not, <laughs> that's literally how it is. And yeah, so, but one of the things that it, really comes down to that is that you have like a few really close friends that you are like, I'll take a bullet, but then you're able to kind of process through stuff. And then everyone that you're able to come across other than that, I feel like you're able to have a good, real honest conversation because you feel, I don't know if you feel secure um, within those tight knit friendships that other friendships, you don't need to find your security as much. You're able to kind of be real. Yeah, absolutely. So truth be told, I have no idea what number Enneagram I am. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I've got friends that are like, you should do it, Dan. And I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just, it's like pure stubbornness on my part. It's not like yeah. I don't want to understand myself better. Yeah. I just know those exams or those quizzes or those assessments. If, if you take it right, you can almost land on any number that you want. You can. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. That's yes. why my wife's really into it too. And so she's like, we read, she's like, you read the book. You have to mm. read the book. Yeah. Um, and the book that is out is by Ian Morgan Cron. And so okay. he has a book where he kind of walks through and once you read them all, then you kind of are like, yeah, this is who I am. So yeah. consequently, I actually haven't finished the book, sure. which is an Enneagram eight thing. He says the first chapter is the Enneagram eight because they won't read past <laughs> themselves. <laughs> That's the which is, I haven't. So that's awesome. I don't know if because he said that or just because of whatever, but I haven't. So, well, just the, the awareness that he has as an author to know oh, yeah. his audience and to do you a super solid mm -hmm. like, yo, eights, I love you and you're welcome. Like, yep, you're welcome. 100%. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, man. That's awesome. So, you and I connected originally when you were serving in Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. So where is Jeff and the Lister clan living life right now? Yeah. So we live in Frankfurt, Illinois, 
So I actually grew up in Illinois, about 25 minutes south of here. Um, but we live in Frankfurt, Illinois. We actually live, it's a huge blessing uh, in a parsonage of a uh, little Baptist church mm. that's in here. And uh, when we were coming to Illinois, we left Wisconsin and that was right at the beginning of COVID, you know, January. Oh, wow. So we were looking for a house and um, we just realized we can't afford anything. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, taxes in Illinois are really high. So we were like, yeah. man, we, we can't afford any of these houses. And so we, we really had a moment where we stopped and uh, my wife was like, Hey, we need to just pray. So we prayed in that moment. And so we said, God, we can't afford any house here. So wow. if you called us to be here, please make it clear. Otherwise mm. we're in trouble. Yeah. And the big thing was we weren't going to buy a house and then be house poor. You know, that really wasn't going right. to be our, our mindset. And so we sat down and we prayed and three days later I get, uh, my aunt who's kind of not really my blood aunt, but she's my mom's like best friend. Yeah. And so she comes and she's like, Hey, I, you know, the house that I used to live in was this parsonage because my uncle was doing music at that church. And she's like, we haven't lived there in three years. And that church is looking for someone to rent it out. And I was like, Oh, okay, cool how much are they looking to rent it out for? Because in this neighborhood, it should be like really high. Yeah. And they're like, okay, what can you pay? And I was like, what? Yeah. And I'm like, we can pay this. And they're like, yeah, we accept. And then we're like, so wow. Cool. So we're in this massive, incredible house for what we can actually afford. And it was literally three days after we prayed, which God never works that fast. Right. But that was one of the moments where it was like, wow, this is really, really cool. Holy smokes. So you're in a strange land, <laughs> you know, looking for a place to live and you just prayed. Yep. Well, we, I grew up here. So oh, I, had sorry. Some yeah. I, I had some neighbor, some cities that I was like, you know what? I want to live here or I could, I would like to live here. Yeah. And you know, we just honestly weren't finding anything. Mm. And I don't know if it was because the housing market or whatever, but they, the houses were flying like six hours on the market. They were gone. No way. And so we were like, man, we just, we're not going to put in this huge offer and then be in trouble, mm -hmm. especially if we want to do ministry. So we were like, okay, let's just pray. And then that crazy happened. Um, and we were paying probably $2,000 less than we should be, to be Come honest, on. for this house. So it's pretty incredible. I love that. And so you're living in a parsonage of a Baptist mm -hmm. church. Is that mm -hmm. where you're serving right now? No, actually, just recently accepted a position um, at a church that uh, it's called Hope Church, and they have several locations throughout the Chicagoland area, one in Midway, they have a Spanish church as well in Midway, one in Pilsen, one in LaGrange, and mm -hmm. then uh, this is going to be a restart, so we're going to relaunch in Frankfurt. Frankfurt was a, an old AG church, been around for like 52 years, and uh, just decided to say, hey, we want to join Hope. And we really believe in what you're doing. And so once that opportunity came about and they voted to say, hey, we're going to be a part of Hope, then uh, Pastor Hal, who's the lead pastor of Hope Church, he called me and was like, hey, we have this opportunity. And we kind of prayed through it. And so we just started, I think this Sunday, we've been there for like five weeks. So this is all super fresh. It is very fresh. Yeah. Wow. Mm -hmm. Wow. So is your bride... Uh, working inside the home is she working outside the home is like where does uh, your bride invest herself 
Yeah. So she um, has this awesome opportunity when she, we were working in Wisconsin, she started to work for a uh, counseling agency. So uh, it's Christian family solutions. And so what she went to school for psychology, but she didn't end up getting her master's yet. Um, so she was doing um, just kind of some receptionist work. And then she got into clinical testing, some psychological testing. Mm -hmm. So when we moved here, I told her, I said, Hey, you're doing a lot of the psychological testing. You should see if they would let you move from on site to working at home. Yeah. And, uh, and they did. And so she's been working at home. She does psychological testing for it'll range anywhere from kids that are in junior high and high school and they're being counseling and the counselor will say, Hey, we're going to have them do this test. So you can kind of help them see where they're at. So she scores the test and then gets it back to the counselor, does all the stuff for seminary and some other testing as well. And so that's kind of what she does uh, part-time. And then my son Hudson, she, you know, is with him part-time as well. So Wow. It's pretty, it was pretty cool that her job was able to move from, she was on site doing all this testing yeah. and then able to move at home. And it's been really, really cool. That's pretty cool. And then for her to be kind of hanging with your son part-time, mm -hmm. uh, I think there's an official title that goes with every stay-at-home mom, stay-at-home dad, and let's just call them domestic engineers, right? <laughs> <laughs> because it is a legit uh calling it is a legit job oh yeah you consider the hours and the energy that go into it and mm -hmm. the payday will show up decades down the road exactly and yeah like marlene and i we've been a single income family for right. years and we've always had enough and we're thankful for that and i know other families have a different arrangement and it's super healthy and super mm -hmm. awesome mm -hmm. but uh it's just, I love hearing the stories of families. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Rango. You know what? Is that the one with the lizard? You got it. Yeah. 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 Have you seen it? I think I remember it vaguely. So I, I fall asleep in pretty much every movie. So Absolutely. yeah, I remember it vaguely. Yeah. <laughs> in your dreams. <laughs> so um, I just watched it last night with my kids okay. for the first time. And it's like old. It's an old movie, but there's this one quote from the movie that says, you know, no man can walk out of his own story. Mm. And that, that line was so compelling. My 13 year old son, he looks at me, he goes, dad, that's a powerful quote. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes, it is. Like, you know, here, this animated, you know, movie is, is dropping truth. Mm -hmm. And so as I hear you just kind of introduce me to a new facets of your story. I love that. I love how you moved to a place on faith. You trusted the Lord. He provided <laughs> lodging Seriously. for you. And then this church prayed through and then discovered you were the right person to help them lead this work. And here you are five weeks later. Now, uh, another thing that I love is that I love to laugh. <laughs> and I, I'm just curious, are there any moments in, in your life that you can remember that are just like super funny and just kind of to this day, or you're chuckling and you're like, wow, I can't believe that happened. Oh man. So many, because I just did so many silly things. I okay. feel like <laughs> looking throughout my life. I mean, <laughs> the running joke with my life is that I get injured like all the time, oh, you no. know, because my ankles are like, 
I don't know, made of glass, you know, cause yeah. I've, I've like sprained my ankle hundreds of thousands of times. Yeah. So yeah. it's, it's so much so that there's a bone spur that comes out of the back of my foot now because my ankle is so uh, destabilized oh, no. that my body tried to build a bone spur to stabilize. My really? Ankle. Yeah. So yeah, that's basically, um, you know, but one thing I can think of is I was thinking about just so many things, but along the lines, and I'm one of those people who just really loves to just push it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so I was thinking about snowmobiling because my dad was doing a snowmobiling trip. And when I was a kid, we had snowmobiles, but they were always old because we were like, let's buy an old beater. And I kind of lived in the country so we could kind of snowmobile around. And I, I went up and we live in the country. And so we have these big ditches, which maybe you would know. Yeah. And it, it snowed a ton. And so I went to the cornfield that was on the other side, the front of my house. And I was flying around and I, there's no, I should not have been on the snowmobile. Like this was a bad idea. I had a helmet on and everything, but it was just a terrible idea for like the Tasmanian devil person that I am. <laughs> so I'm flying, I'm floor, you know, putting my thumb down. I'm going as fast as I can on this thing. And I mean, it only goes like 50 miles an hour because it was super old. And then I'm coming up to go back down the hill. And naturally I thought, Hey, if I go over here and I'm going to cross the street, I know the snow's really high, but I'll probably go down. Right. Okay. So I'm flying and I don't know if it was cold. I just gunned it. And I thought, man, this would be really cool. Kind of go down across the street. Didn't go down, caught air, went caught air and flew like a dropped, like straight five feet land in the middle of the street. Oh, and no. I didn't see there was a car coming down the road. So I was lucky. And as soon as I hit the street, the engine breaks right through the snowmobile. <laughs> and so it was just totaled in that moment, totaled. And so at that moment, my dad was like, are you serious? Yeah. Like, why did you do that? And I was like, I have no idea. So I was laughing, telling someone that story this week. No that I was just like going out there. I'm surprised I didn't get hurt. I'm flying across and just, and I'm sure it's way more dramatic in my head and the story I'm telling. Absolutely. Right now. Maybe it was just like a two foot jump, but the engine did. I mean, that was total. We had to scrap that snowmobile. Well, you got to so come down with some, some significant force if you're going to break an engine. Yeah. Right. Uh, so in your mind, sure. It was, you might be imagining it bigger but you got to deal with the physics there like yeah, you broke you broke the engine like yeah. <laughs> how many people can say they did that i, I don't mean, know but it was old it was like a 25 year old snowmobile yeah so maybe that's why too but sure. man i came down some force and i just remember my dad being like you can never cross the street again because you <laughs> that was terrible you can only stay <laughs> in the back cornfields <laughs> oh man uh that's just amazing on several levels. I do appreciate though the daredevil mm -hmm. in in you because mm -hmm. I think there's a there's a, a realm of life that can only be experienced when you push the limits. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I'm not advocating stupidity. Yeah. However, <laughs> right. But it's it's you discover what's possible when you really just go for it. For sure. And so I I love that. Now you broke the engine your dad banished you to the <laughs> to the to the inside of your yes. land right yeah um so what was it like the the next time like you went out with him was he like 
son or is he like just moving forward he's like okay that was dumb but let's move on yeah i mean he's the type of guy his phrase um growing up was it is what it is and it's all good wow so he literally looked at me he's like it is what it is and then the next time i was like don't do anything stupid it's all good <laughs> that's literally what he said like yeah. i i can't imagine him like i can't imagine the moment like sometimes with hudson i'll sit down and be like so we're not gonna do this and here's why mm. but like that's not how it was for me he was like just don't do it and i'm not giving you any explanation just don't jump the road yeah okay and then you just walk away <laughs> okay well there's no confusing what he's meaning exactly yeah yeah there's no I, room for interpretation there there's no you know conversation there's just don't be dumb like that's literally what it was and i was like okay sounds good yeah like dad i'm picking up what you're putting down yeah and so yeah that's that's pretty crystal clear <laughs> so in your journey moving from wisconsin now in illinois uh has there ever been a stretch of your life where you just found yourself overwhelmed hmm. or pushed past your limits? You know, sometimes you on the snowmobile, you push the snowmobile's limits, you jumped hmm. it, broke the engine. And sometimes in life, life actually pushes us yeah. past the edges. And yeah. then maybe part of us strains under the stress of the season that we're in. Has there ever been a moment for you like that? Yeah. You know, I was telling someone about this recently. And this is, I mean, there's been several moments as I'm sure you've had several moments throughout your life that it's like, mm -hmm. yeah, this season was challenging, but probably the most recent one was when we left Wisconsin, we were kind of sent off to go and plant, plant a new church. Mm -hmm. And that was in like November. Yeah. So we went to live with family because I hadn't, wasn't starting another job yet. So we're living with family, kind of in this limbo and for me, I was like, I want to get to the next thing and get going. Right. And so in January, when we get to Illinois officially and we're living with my family now, and this is when we were looking for the house, um, I went to a church service and it'd been really the first church service I'd gone to because in December, um, I think our family had COVID. So we were really, my, my mother-in-law was in the hospital and it was kind of a, we really didn't travel and we were in Iowa at their house. And so the first church service I'd been to not watching it online was in January. Mm -hmm. And so I walk into this church service and I'm sitting there with Abby and it's just weird emotions, you know, after you've left the full-time ministry position to go yeah. and do something new and you're going to be starting a, a, a secular job. I'm just going to be working in manufacturing in the meantime. Mm -hmm. And so I'm in this service and I'm standing there. All of a sudden, I just, I'm just like overwhelmed with this emotion, you know, and I'm just, wow. I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm just like, man, why do I feel so terrible? And then the service starts, the worship starts and I just start weeping, mm -hmm. and I'm crying. I have no idea why I go out to the car and no dramatic. I'm literally sitting there just crying, holding a steering wheel. Yeah. And, and I'm just like, I don't, what's wrong with me? I didn't mm -hmm. know. And, and I felt like this breaking in my mm -hmm. spirit. And it took probably the next eight months to process through that till like August. Wow. And I finally processed through and I realized that the entirety of my identity was on the stage. Yeah. The entirety of my identity was in ministry. It was in a label. It was in getting to the next stage. Mm 
It was in being the pioneer. It was in being the person who brought solutions. Yeah. Everything. I had no identity in Jesus, Mm. which is, I mean, terrible to say after seven years in ministry, you're like, or six years at that time. And you're like, wait, what? I, it, it was an absolute, um, crisis. Cause I was like, man, and, and I felt like God be like, you don't have me if you don't have the stage. It's not how this works. Wow. And so I went through that breaking time, so many conversations and so much internal bitterness, which is so funny because we talked about at the beginning, but just internal bitterness of man, why am I not doing this right now? Why is this not working out the way I want it to work out? Mm-hmm. And in that season, I feel like I just had to reorient my life around the fact that, that I'm a son and that Jesus died for me and mm-hmm. that I need to put my identity in him every single day, just as much as I was telling people to do. And if I didn't do that, then the same things that I was always saying, hey, if your identity is not in Christ, you're going to find it in other things. I was finding it in the thing that I was telling people to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it was just, it was just a, it was one of those times where, and there's so many different things I can get into and belabor the conversation. I think part of it was that when I got, I had this radical saving moment where when I was uh, 19, my appendix burst. And I was in the hospital. They knew it was enlarged. So my appendix burst. Mm-hmm. And while I was waiting for surgery and it was, I was in the, they didn't know that it had burst. They knew it was enlarged and they were going to remove it. So as I was going to go into the surgery, a guy got in a car accident and he needed to have brain surgery. Obviously that takes precedence, right? Yeah. To a routine surgery. So we waited for like three, four hours till the doctor could come out. And he said, Hey, you'll be out in 35 minutes. And I went in and I came out three hours later because my appendix had burst. And when your appendix burst, that poison is detriment. It will really hurt you and it could kill you. And so what happened was the bowels came out of my intestines and protected my vital organs until the surgery came. So they had to clean out my entire stomach, scrape my stomach to clean it out so that there was no poison. So I didn't get sick. Mm -hmm. And then I had to stay in the, in the hospital. And in that moment, when I was driving home, I felt like the Lord speak to me. And he said this very clear word in the car. And I felt like Jesus got in the car and I'm weeping again. And, and I just feel like he said, there'll be a day with that Jeremy camp songs on, you know what I mean? Jeremy camp, he's, he kills it, but there'll be a day with no more tears, no more fears and no more pain that that's on. Mm -hmm. And I just feel God say this to me. I saved you for a purpose. Come on now, go out and fulfill it. And I went straight to Bible college three months later. And so I almost feel like I didn't have a process of being from like, I wasn't, I was kind of that fake Christian before that. I was kind of like hands raised on Sunday, smoking weed on Monday. You know what I mean? Like that's who I was. Sure. And then I had this radical change to go to Bible college and make this decision with my life. And I don't think I found an identity. I think I went from one identity to another. Right. And I never found it in Jesus. Wow. Why do you think that's such a compelling trap for so many ministry leaders? Man, I don't, it could be because it, it's so interesting. It's like a position that you have this 
ability to speak and to see so much change. And there's times where you're like, man, that person doesn't change without me. Mm. And that's just not true. Exactly <laughs> I mean, right. they're changing in spite of you. Right. And it's, but it's, it's as humans, I feel like it's a trap that we can fall into of like, well, I just gave such a good sermon that that's the reason why they raised their hand, which inevitably I feel like it started, this started happening to me. And I think God just does this to me intentionally, but every time I preach a sermon, I knock it out of the park. Not a single person says a word to me <laughs> or not a single person will even get saved in that service. Yeah. Then I'll have a service where I walk up and I'm like, I'm mad. I'm upset. That was my worst sermon. That was a bunt. It wasn't even a single. <laughs> yeah. And then like five people get saved and people come up to me. That was the best sermon I've ever heard in my life. I'm like, right. okay, thanks God. You know, yeah. this is, we get it. You know, yeah. I'm just a tool. I appreciate that. You know what I mean? Right. Right. I think there's a, a liberating moment when we discover that God does the heavy lifting anyways. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you were involved in athletics in high school, mm -hmm. but the weight room culture mm -hmm. where I'll just say this in high school, I learned all the wrong ways to lift weights. <laughs> and Didn't we all? Well, it's just like, well, how much do you want to lift? Well, more. Yeah. Well, how much is that? More. Yeah. But why? More. Like that's, <laughs> that's it. That's the really the whole, you know, drive of the kind of uh, meathead mm -hmm. weight room culture. And I think sometimes we get pulled into that trap in life where yeah. we're like, I just, I just need to, I need to be more. Mm. And yeah. scripture's call is actually, no, I need to be less. Yeah. And uh, I, I don't always love that. <laughs> no. I think what's helped me a lot is focusing in on just, I know it sounds cliche, but just Jesus. Absolutely. You know, and not that any of the other books of the Bible are bad. I'm doing a Bible reading plan. It's great. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm in the Old Testament and, you know, all this, you know, all the letters and from Paul and all this stuff is great. But just when you focus on Jesus and the leader that he was, and you look at, and if you actually take his stuff at face value, the way that he meant it, it will wreck you. Right. And I realized like that I wasn't truly following him in the way that he was clearly stating. And I wasn't, you know, and, and it's, and he's faithful and just to use people when they're, and I, it's not something I knew. It's not like I was in ministry, like, oh, this is about me. I had no idea. Until I'm standing in another person's church thinking, I should be doing this. I'm better than them at this. And God's that like, uh, no. And I'm yeah. like, oh, man. So it's just, it's, it was just a, it was a trying time, but it was a very, very fruitful time. Yeah. And I think there's part of every, every leader that really believes that they can just do the job really well. Mm -hmm. And like, where's the tension point there? because I think it's, but maybe I can go so far to say, I think it's maybe a God-given desire to just be mm -hmm. excellent. Yeah. And so I think every leader has that in them. Yeah. Like you're in an environment, you're like, man, I, I could rock this. Like, yeah. <laughs> but where do you find the healthy tension there? Mm. Because I think you're keying in on something that we all need to think about is who are we when we're not doing this stuff? Yes. So, what would you say? Like, how are, are you staying healthier 
on this side of that revelation? I think that I'm approaching church and, and we were very, like, we had a lot of conversations about this before we accepted this position, because this is something that I struggle with. And, um, it, it truly is like just saying like, Hey, I need to make sure I keep my identity in Jesus. And so I have people that I've talked to, to kind of help me reorient my life around that. But what I've kind of tried to do is walk into the room. And I used to walk into the room and look at all of the things that I know that I can fix. And I try to walk in the room and say, God, I'm not fixing anything. It's on you. I'm going to do what I can do. And I'm going to now leave it to you. That's and so it's good. most likely going to feel slower to me, but it's going to be much healthier for me and for everyone in this room. Dude, I love that. I love that. So simple. Uh, so uh, humbling because mm. when you reconcile the truth that it's really God who does the work, it's the spirit that moves on the heart of every person in the room. Yeah. It's a beautiful place to be, but it's also like a vulnerable place to be. Oh man. Like, God, I really can't do any of this without you. Mm -hmm. And anything I could do without you, I really don't want. (laughs) Exactly. Like, wow. Um, So furthering this conversation, where, where do you find hope on a daily level, on a weekly level? Like where, where do you go? to find hope yeah i was i was you know that's interesting i think for me my hope comes from a lot of conversations i have so i am like the type of person i have my people that i talk to like weekly sometimes Mm -hmm. two or three times a week you know and we'll have conversations that'll range from anything sports to this week we were like having a converse, conversation about um, Christian coaching. Is it biblical? You know, like literally we had like, I was talking with someone and we had like a three hour conversation about that. So it can range from that to, it can range from some people who are like, so how are you doing with this vice you have? How are you doing with that vice you have? Hmm. Um, how are you, what's, what's going on in your life here? And you bear it and you, you're honest with it. And then you leave with more hope. I heard uh, this pastor say recently that they were speaking with someone who is leading a large organization and they're Christian. And they said they have a standing meeting with a friend from college at 6 a.m. every single day to confess the previous day's sins and to pray for the day ahead. Oh, wow. Every single day. That's intense. That's so intense. And But what I found for me is that brings me hope. The conversations I have with those close people, conversations like this, conversation we had on the phone just uh, yesterday, I walk away and I'm like thinking differently about life and and, and brings hope and it stretches me to be different and to be more like Jesus. Holy smokes. So am I understanding you correctly to say that community is key? Oh, yeah. 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 Community is, to me, I think it is one of the most underutilized things in the culture today. Um, you know, I'm not, I, I, I love the virtual community, but I just think there's also something about just being with people, um, you know, personally um, and being in the room. And 
and I understand it's difficult right now. So we have to do what we have to do, but then we can find other ways, you know, but community to me, if I'm not a person in community, I'm ruined. The moment that I start ignoring my friends calls, they call me more because they know that I'm doing something that I shouldn't be doing, or I'm thinking something bad. It's just that they know that because I don't, because I have zero filters, zero. So if I'm talking to you, I'm going to say something stupid and it's just going to come out (laughs) and that's just the reality. And, and, And then I have given these people full permission to say, that's not good. You shouldn't be thinking that. Hmm. Why do you, why do you give them that permission? I think because I learned um, early on to just to be 99% known is to be basically not known at all. You need to be a hundred percent known. And if I'm not a hundred percent known, then I'm still hiding. And so I learned it in Chi Alpha when we would have guys who would come up to me and they'd say, Hey, would you be my accountability partner with porn or with drinking or with whatever drugs? And I say, sure, but I'm going to call you out. So if you struggle with it, Mm -hmm. I want to call you out because I want you to be better. So before you, you actually ask me this, I want you to say to me, I give you permission to call me out. And there were some guys who said, yeah, I'll give you permission. There are other guys who said, I'll find somebody else. So you really find in that moment, do you really want to get better or do you not? Wow. I mean, isn't that like going to the doctor Mm -hmm. and being like, Hey, just don't tell me anything uncomfortable for my test results. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Oh man, you're keying in on some things that I think inside the church, we've got room for growth. Mm -hmm. And I think we, we, we long for community. Oh yeah. But I believe we've over institutionalized community in the church mm-hmm. in an attempt to foster organic and authentic mm-hmm. community. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you've tired of this, but I'll just say this. Anytime I hear anybody inside the church or outside the church say we're one big family um, in any organization, I, I have to pause because I'm like, what are, are we just kind of using that as catnip to make ourselves feel a little bit better about this organization? Yeah. And maybe I have too high of an expectation on the word family hmm. uh, because um, like, for example, uh, in the near future, I'm driving out to Minnesota. I'm going to help my dad transition further into his journey with Alzheimer's. I mean, he's, he's moving forward through the progress and mm. I'm going to work with my brother and we're going to move him into a deeper level of a specialty care facility. Mm. Cause that's what family does. Yeah. And I, I'm concerned that every time we're like, Hey fam, <laughs> you know, we're a big, you know, family together. We've got such a family thing. Uh, I, I'm concerned that we've lowered the bar mm. on what family really is. Yeah. And I, I just think there's a way to really capture the essence of family and community. Yeah. I 100% agree with you. What would you say is the, the way that you could kind of move, move that ball down, down the field, like down the, down the court, down the field, whatever you want to say. What- I've got some ridiculously amazing leaders in my life. Mm-hmm. One of them, Steve Tripp. Yeah. And he 
has helped me understand that modeling is everything. Yeah. And so I think that's where it begins. I think we have to, if we as leaders want to move the ball down the field, yeah, we have to model what it means to be accountable, to be vulnerable in a healthy yes. way. Because yes. I believe what a leader says from the platform is it has to be, that has to be filtered. Yes. And I heard uh, Stephen Furtick say once, uh, I really resonated with it. He's like, it's okay for leaders to show your scars of, you know, where, where you've been wounded and where you've healed. It's not wise to show people your wounds yep. that are open and yep. unhealed in public. Mm-hmm. Now, I didn't hear him say, don't show anybody <laughs> right. your wounds. But I did hear him say, as leaders, we have to be super wise in how we model a vulnerability and authenticity. And for me, <clears throat> I definitely think it starts uh, with the simple act of having real friendships. Mm-hmm. Man, at, I'm 39. I'll be turning 40 soon. And I've got a couple of really best friends. Yeah. And I don't know, do you have, it sounds like you do, like mm-hmm. you've got a couple of dudes in your life that you're like, man, uh, they're my besties. Like, for sure. You know, we don't yeah. send each other friendship bracelets in the mail, but you know, we, we're, we live in community yeah. uh, digitally, virtually, and then in person mm-hmm. as often as we can. Yeah. So, Maybe that was a kind of long circuitous route to answer your very, very good question. I think we move the ball down the field as it relates to real community and authentic family, spiritual family, mm-hmm. when we as leaders model it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I love the, I love the statement of Jesus when he's talking and, uh, and you know, the disciples come up and, or the, the crowd comes up and they're like, Hey, Jesus, you know, your mother and your, and your brothers are over there. And he's like, well, who are my mother and my brothers, hmm. people around me? And it's not that he's saying like, hey, hate, hate your mother, but he's saying he's using the word in the Greek, the Adelphoi, that these disciples, they are my family. So I look at them as my family. And in the patrilineal culture that he came from, where your family was everything and your closest relationship was not with your spouse, but with your probably with your brother or your sister spiritually speaking and emotionally speaking for him to make that insane statement of these people around me that I'm in community with trying to follow the Holy spirit and of God with, they are my family just as my mother and my brothers are. And his his radical understanding of that has just really challenged me. And I agree with you 100%. You have to model it. You really do. One final question, Jeff. Mm Mm-hmm. Who are you proud of today? Yeah, I mean, for me, that's pretty simple. Um, my, I think the person I'm most proud of right now in my life and have been for the past seven years is my wife. Yeah. Um, absolutely. And uh, she, she struggles with, uh, she has chronic migraines. Mm-hmm. So it's something that I know uh, Marlena struggles with as well. Um, and man, it's a battle. And uh, to watch her fight through it 
and we've been going through recently a different trial of medication and then to see that maybe this trial isn't going to be what we thought it could be and walking through the grief and the heartbreak of understanding that you're living a life that is full of pain that other people can wake up and not have pain and and maybe maybe they have emotional pain or they have you know spiritual pain but I'm talking the physical pain. There's many people and there's many people who have it too. And so just walk, watch her walk through that is she's by far the person that I'm most proud of. Wow. Because of who she is in, in spite who she is intentionally with Hudson, who she is with me, who she is with people in her life and how the resilience it takes. Mm -hmm. to just fight through that to me easy that's the easiest question you've asked me today oh man i'm choking up here um because number one i love it when uh, a husband praises his wife yeah i just <laughs> i think um culturally um it's an outlier <clears throat> i don't think men do that enough no where we just celebrate the amazing women that God has trusted us with mm -hmm. and we just sing their praises. Mm -hmm. So that touched a very, very powerful part in my heart. And then I'm just totally resonating with you yeah. on the journey as you walk alongside your bride as she battles migraines. And there is a real hope fatigue that mm -hmm. I've discovered in, in our, in our journey Yeah, that you've tried dozens of things and you've had multiple people i'm guessing run up to you and say have you tried this yet oh yeah and for all of our listeners let me just help uh me and jeff out yes we've heard of essential oils <laughs> okay so if you <laughs> if you know that that works i'm happy for you so happy and we've tried the different flavenders or whatever. Yep. yep. So thank you. And I, I just, I need to pause and make sure I keep my heart right. I really appreciate when people run to share Definitely. ideas because it's coming from a really good place. Yes. But then to let the listener in on the other side of the story. Yeah. As long as the offer of advice, or the idea comes with no strings attached. Yes. It's super healthy. Super healthy. However, yeah. it, gets, it gets weird and wonky when there's this expectation. Like, here, I'm telling you what you need to do next. Yes. That feels sideways to me. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I agree with you 100%, you know. I mean, it's just, it usually it's a bite your tongue and smile moment for me, you know, Hey, thanks. Mm -hmm. And it's a, it's a check of like, you know what, people are just trying to help. Um, but yeah, we've tried essential oils and I'm really glad that, uh, Aleve Excedrin headache helps you, but this is a different situation. And so, you know, Hey, if you want to pray, please do that. Um, and, uh, but you know, it, it's tough and, and, and I'm sure, that maybe I've done the same thing to someone else who's dealing with a pain in their physical body or yeah. in their relationship. And I say, Hey, this is what works for me. I'm sure I've done that for mm -hmm. sure. In fact, I know I've done that. 
Yeah, me too. And, and then you walk away from the situation. You're like, oh, man, I probably shouldn't have said that. But the I think what you said is no strings attached is that when you're caring for somebody else and you're walking up to them in love, that if your true heart is empathy mm-hmm. and grace and love, then yeah, you give your opinion. That's okay. And you're, you have a right to it. And then you walk away. That's, a, that's cool. You know, and, and I think that's, that's a tough thing too. And that's a weird wrinkle that probably mm-hmm. me and you have had to walk through that. Not maybe not a lot of people would, you know, it's just an interesting situation. It is. It is because it's all driven by really, really good motivations. Oh yeah, for sure. And I think it just comes down to having healthy expectations mm-hmm. and really living to help that person get through the next day. Yeah. Because the way it works and on our side of the story is it's sometimes just a day-to-day life. Mm-hmm. And when the seasons get long and grinding and you're exhausted, it's sometimes it's hour by hour. Yeah. Or minute by minute. Yes. And when someone comes alongside of you and is that breath of fresh air. Yeah. Where their presence is helpful. Yeah. And they're, they may have ideas. They have opinions for sure. We all do. And the tack that they've chosen to take is I'm, I'm just here for you. Yeah. 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 And I know you shared that to me when we talked, we kind of realized that this is something that's part of our story um, along with our wives. And um, yeah. And it's just that hope fatigue that you talked about. The thing that I found that is the greatest cure for that is community. When Mm -hmm. you're able to, someone is able to say, Hey, I'm going to bring, bring by a meal or I'll watch the kids for you or I'll, um, you know, help you in this way. Like, I hope that I'm able to help someone who has hope fatigue in their situation the same way. Yeah, absolutely. What if we just all looked at somebody else who's broken as they probably have hope fatigue in a situation, maybe it's anxiety, maybe it's depression, maybe it's suicidal thoughts, maybe it's their sickness in their family, or maybe it's spiritually. And we looked at that person instead of at us being that doctor or that solution we said, this person's probably having some fatigue. So what can I do to put some wind in their sails? I think the church would be the place that grows the most. If we took that approach of I'm going to be a hope bringer and I'm going to bring hope to a situation where someone could be broken. Yeah. That's so good, man. That is so good. Uh, Jeff, I, I can't thank you enough for making the time to have this conversation. I know I've, I've learned as I've listened and though, again, all the listeners heard it, <laughs> but again, your, your ability to help conversations go up and to the right. If they're, mm. if it's on a graph, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's productive and constructive. Yeah. And I, I heard that throughout our entire conversation and I just appreciate the spirit that you bring yeah. in, into the room and appreciate your perspective and, I just want to say thank you so much. Yeah, man. Thank you. This has been a blast. And I also got to listen to your other conversations too and your bonus episodes in the last two days. And man, I'm excited to, to just be someone who follows and listens along and 
and your conversation with Tyler was super powerful. I took so many notes. So I'm really excited to continue to watch you on this journey and, and be a follower. And thank you so much for all your kind words. This is a blast. And uh, I love it. Yeah. Well, I personally can't wait to the next conversation we get to have. Yes, me too. I'm excited. <laughs> So there you have it, folks. That's what honesty and reflection can create for all of us. What do I mean? Jeff was honest enough with himself to acknowledge that he needed to address some things in his life. And the beauty is when the honesty gets followed up with intentional activity where you decide, hey, I'm going to do something in response to this information that I now have. And thank God for those moments because as uncomfortable as they may be, they are opportunities for you and I to grow and become even more of what this world needs because I've said it before, I'll say it again, I'll, and I'll just be this honest with you. This world does not need more of Dan Herod. This world needs more of God, and it needs less of humanity and more of divinity. And here's the beautiful thing, when humanity invites divinity in humility into its space, the unbelievable happens and begins to take place. We discover who Christ has dreamed us to be. I was thinking back to one of my college classes at North Central University and the professor was Dr. Amos Young and he, for me, was one of the more brilliant spiritual thinkers I have ever had the privilege of encountering in, in one of the classes at North Central University one day, we were kind of vamping and dialoguing on Jesus, the reality that he is the image of the invisible God, and he is really the perfect expression of what humanity can be. Now. He is fully divine and was, while on earth, fully human. And Dr. Young said something that I, I will never, ever forget. And he said this, Jesus, quite possibly, was the most human being who ever lived. And the class just kind of fell silent because we knew that we had just encountered a truth that was simply compelling and to believe that Jesus while he was on earth was the perfect expression of God's intention when he designed humanity was super humbling and at the same time super empowering us for us because we don't have to be better versions of ourselves that's not what this world needs we can be more like Christ who when we embrace that, we actually become the best version 
of ourselves. And contemplating back on the conversation that I got to have with Jeff, he brought it back home. Who are we when we're not doing the stuff? Who are we when we don't have our labels, our badges, our identities that are all temporary and earthly? Who are we? Well, here's the beauty of the gospel. When we respond to Jesus's invitation to follow him into abundant life, we become daughters, we become sons of the Most High God. We become co-heirs with Christ Jesus in this heavenly kingdom that is now advancing here on earth. And I'm just so grateful for the way that Jeff was able to share his journey and discover where he finds hope because it's not in any identity that's attached to activity, he found deeper meaning and deeper purpose and deeper hope in community. And I just want to encourage you today, who is that for you? Who in your world have you given complete permission to say, I'm going to speak truth to you and I'm going to invite you to speak truth to me. And I'm going to trust that when you say something that is uncomfortable for me to hear, that you're saying it in love, even though I may not want to hear it. I do truly believe that your best days as a human being here on earth are ahead of you when you're walking Jesus's way. So if you are following Christ and you've picked up your cross, you've denied yourself and you've said, Jesus, I'm not going my way. I want to go your way. I want to walk in the way of love. I want to walk in the way of forgiveness. I want to walk in the way of justice. I want to walk in the way of faith and humility and ultimately selfless ambition to where I live to help other people live. And if you aren't following Jesus yet, today is a great day to begin. And I want to encourage you to prayerfully, and I know it sounds weird if you're not following Jesus, I'm encouraging you to prayerfully do something. Absolutely. Because you were wired and divinely designed for community with the Heavenly Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And it's pretty enlightening to consider that God himself exists in community and now he invites us into his community life so that we can fully be alive. We have come to the end of the line on this episode of Hope Between the Lines. I want to encourage you to check out Jeff's podcast called Where they've been. It is worth your time. I've included the link to find it in the show notes and you will not regret listening to several of the conversations that he got to have with some people that I respect and thank God for. Make sure you go find that today and make sure as well that you're sharing this episode with your friends. Send it to them directly. Let them know that, hey, there's a new podcast out and it'd be worth your time listening to. And make sure you're reaching out to me if you've got thoughts or comments or questions for me, hopebetweenthelines at gmail.com. You can find me on the socials, on the Facebook, that is Hope Between the Lines, and on the InstaG, Instagram, underscore Hope Between the Lines. And you can find me there. Send me a message. I'd love to hear from you. And now lastly, but never, ever, forever, ever, 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 leastly, may the Lord bless you. May he keep you and may his face shine brightly upon you.